Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. In Playboy Mommy, I'm much more voluptuous, you know, but I'm allowed to do that because I'm the writer, so I can make myself that way. And I saw myself in a different way than I am with a 13-year-old daughter. And I saw that mother-daughter relationship just not being enough. I saw my mother, you know, I saw how I felt when I was not ashamed, but that moment of why couldn't you be the thing that I want you to be? And realized that I would probably have that experience with my own Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Playboy Mommy, the 11th track from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. Platforms, I hit the flow. I fell first down and didn't help my brain out. Then my baby came before I found the magic hell to keep her happy. I never was the fantasy of what you want or wanted me to. Hi, David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, except I realize that I've already gone back on my solemn oath after the hotel episode. We said the word hotel so many times. I swear to you, I was never going to say it again. And I just (laughs) did it. Just said it. That lasted all of two Uh, seconds. I was going to say from the choir girl. But, you know, the word came out. So I guess it's all over. I can add a slide whistle if you'd like. Please do. And a cuckoo clock. Or like an old timey (laughs) awooga. 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 Um, it's interesting. This is the first time I've ever heard Playboy Mommy. I always stop my listening at hotel. I just never got past it. That's where the album ends. <laughs> burp, 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 burp. The end. This is a good song. This is a good song. Do people know about this? Has anyone heard this album? There are two extra tracks. Yeah. It's the... like I'm getting a limited edition bonus 22 years later. Yeah, I love a hidden track. Tori's never done a hidden track, huh? Like Atlantis. Would you forgive no. me, love? If I Pandora oh. in your shower. Wow. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, Tori has never done a hidden track. Mm-hmm. Are hidden tracks even a thing anymore? Not with like the advent of like streaming and you can see everything listed. Yeah, no. that's true. Really she tried to sell like Dragon and Smokey Joe as bonus tracks, right? And we were like, mm, isn't that just the album though? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is like, I think all the B-sides in the later years, all the B-sides end up on the album. And that's why the albums are so long. It's so true. But I'm glad that she still records as much as she does because yeah, you know, when you have so many songs not everyone's going to be the most amazing song ever but there are some amazing songs that we would never have heard if she had kept all the quote-unquote b-sides off the album we never would have heard smoky joe we never would have heard dragon but we're not here to talk about that today we'll get to those two songs next year yeah (laughs) some year and what's the sense in complaining about that anyway can you imagine if you went to a restaurant and you didn't have to choose a side dish but you just got them all that's a dream potato salad and coleslaw Mm. and french fries yes please sweet potato fries (laughs) 
Thank you. You read my mind, madam. Mm-hmm. How have you been since we conquered hotel? I've been pretty well. Merry Chrysler. I gotta say, we're coming on Christmas. <laughs> Merry crisis. They're cutting down trees. How are you feeling about the holiday season? I'm feeling okay. You know, this is gonna be the most bizarre. We are in, for the, those listening to us in the future, we are stuck in the year 2020 and we can't get out. Yeah. This is gonna be the strangest holiday season, I think, ever in terms of being with or without your family, depending on what you choose to do and the precautions that you're personally taking. I personally am choosing to stay home and gaze out my window at the many Christmas trees across the way and the other families enjoying their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've chosen to do. That's pretty consistent. I always imagine you as Pearl from 227 anyway, just perched on a little pillow, staring at your window, getting all up in the neighborhood business. So that's my preferred way to spend the holidays. Uh huh. My family won't mind. I never was there. It was there when it counts anyway. Oh my God. So like you. So like me. <laughs> I've been well. Not that anyone asked me. I did. But I've been well since the hotel episode. <laughs> Hang on. I've been well. Let me dust off that chip on your shoulder. There you go. I've been fine. You know, I never really thought we'd make it. Not like you and I. I never thought that this project four years ago... When I started this project, I thought, there's no way we're going to get to hotel. That's so far away. And it was partly fear of success. It was partly like I couldn't believe the enormity of the project that lay before me. And I'm glad that we made it. And I'm glad that we're continuing forward. I'm a little concerned to hear that hotel was the line of demarcation, considering how much further we have to go. <laughs> like, I didn't think we would make it to album four. Really? Out of 29? 29 by the time we finish? My next port of exit would be zero point. So we have at least till then. Interesting, but that's really far off because, you know, it won't be part of Venus proper. That's part of a piano. You don't got to tell me. Save it for the casual fans. Okay, sorry. Keep it cash. I think my second favorite is Spring Haze, but that's tied with Zero Point. Your second favorite song? Yeah. Oh, okay. Spring Haze, are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm waiting for Sunday to talk about Spring Haze. Well, I guess I knew that. And I also knew that Zero Point was in your top 10, but I didn't realize it ranked so high. Well, that's today. You know, that's how I feel today. There's also Take me with you take me with you is in your top 10 absolutely who is this have we met have you not seen my top 10 list do we not share our lists with each other no we haven't oh i like to build intimacy very slowly let's not rush into anything <laughs> one song at a time yeah. one reveal at a time totally when was the first time you heard playboy mummy i remember sitting in my dorm room at my computer and we got clips and this was one of the clips and the quality was very low and i think there's a quality to her voice on the record anyway where there's character coming through and she's like a little more throaty but i remember the quality of the clip being very low and her voice sounded very different and also for some reason like the steel guitar that kind of country twang was really exacerbated in the clip and we were like what is happening it's because old internet used to pick up the treble right do you remember it was like always so tinny so very tinny yes you're right so very tinny so very tinny (laughs) (laughs) this steel guitar is so very Uh, tinny tinny tim won't be coming home this christmas um so (laughs) we were very much like what is this shift in sound and i think this was the first of the choir girl songs that really sent us into a tizzy like we don't know about this new band song why is tori suddenly a country artist but it really was a shift for her and she'd experimented with genre before but maybe not in such an obvious way to have that twangy country steel guitar on an album so really we were Mm -hmm. panicking anyway how about you 
I loved it from the get-go. I didn't hear the clips. I didn't have access. To, I didn't know about those clips, I guess. I didn't hear it before. So I heard it the first time when I heard their album for the first time. And by then, by the time that I heard it for the first time, I knew what had happened with a miscarriage. And I knew that I knew what the inspiration for the album was and what she'd been through. And this, to me, felt like it was the most reflective of the actual event that had happened to inspire the album. The most literal in that way. Yeah, it feels very direct, right? Yeah, exactly. So I felt very moved by the song. I didn't have any issue with the song. I, in fact, it was probably one of my early favorites. Even sonically? Sonically, it was different, but I liked it. I, I never considered it country. I had that same feeling that you described right there is the feeling I had when I heard Wednesday. Like, what is this country song? <laughs> Would you consider Wednesday country? Not anymore. I wouldn't today, but that's the feeling that I had when I heard it mm. for the first time. Boom, 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 nothing here to fear. Yeah, it's jaunty. I'm just sitting around in my tractor being, being foolish, foolish when there are fields to, to be, be plowed. plowed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should we talk about our guests? I'm so excited to have guests. Yes. Who's coming to the Playboy Mansion? Well, first we have, you ready for this? You may know him from many other episodes on this show and other shows. It's one Alexander Leger Small, mm. Playboy Mommy super fan. He locked it in early. You may know him from many contests such as Trivia. And Trivia Part 2. <laughs> mm, yes. It will not be the first time that we welcome Alexander Leger Small into our Playboy Mansion grotto. <laughs> Also, we have a blast from our past and yours. We're going to reconnect with our Pele baby. Our Pele baby is now a Pele tween. Oh, we really need to check in on him. And I love when my past gets blasted. Not just your past, I've heard. <laughs> I'm excited to check in with him. His name is Colin. He's our Pele baby and he loves Playboy Mommy. So we're going to talk to him. Can't wait. Should we say hello and thank you to our Patreon supporters? Hello and thank you. Hello and thank you to one Patrick Booth, new patron supporter. I'm going to try that one with the alligator booth. The alligator booth on? <laughs> yeah, but the other side drew me in. We'd also like to say hello to Shane De Christina. Shane, 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 Shane. <laughs> Shane, I have no De Christinas. I ha have no De Christina. Shane. I'm glad you all got to hear that. And last but certainly not least, we'd like to say hello and thank you to new patron Berkeley Squared. Ooh, a nightingale is singing in Berkeley Squared. <laughs> Good one, David. <laughs> of course, we have to say thank you to the mistress of the written arts, Shay Stymack. She puts together our show notes for this and all episodes, and she is a gem. And I'm not ashamed that I was a good friend to American Shailgers. Shailgers? I'll say it loud here by her grave. <laughs> I'll say it loud. Ridiculous. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Talking about ho Shayna. <laughs> Don't judge us so harsh, little Shay. Anyway, should we get to it, David? Any Shay. Yeah, we should. We're going to start with a cover. This is from Matthew Presidente's World is Watching at Home Concert Series, Episode 2. This is a highlight from it. We found it on YouTube, Matthew. You didn't send it to us directly. Why not? This is his cover of Playboy Mommy with Jen Buchanan. They worked on this together via Zoom during a pandemic. What have you been doing with your life? What have I been doing with what my life? What a collaboration, Mr. President. Hey. Cut it. Cut it again. Cut it again. Magic how to keep the 
particularly for you because the album represents a very emotional time in your life, a very difficult time. You just had had a miscarriage, which is unfortunate in anybody's uh, life, but I think for you particularly because you so wanted to be a mother. Yeah, it was, it was very um, sorrowful. And uh, the strange thing is, I think I felt love in a way that I hadn't felt it before. I think you feel love for... I've heard my mother talk about her love for me, but I... And I love my mom back, obviously. But it's a different kind of love, this protective kind of love. And I guess I didn't... I, I would have done anything in the world to try and make it okay. Mm. And, um, and we couldn't make it okay. Mm. And so this, in a way, came out also of a sense of loss, perhaps, as well as the feelings of love that you had. There were times, obviously, you know, you ask every question that you can ask. Uh, sometimes, you know, I was uh, terrorizing the Christian God, demanding to sit down and talk to him over a bottle of Stoli and really answer some questions. Because things don't make sense at that point. You know, things that people say to you, like, um, it's all for the best, or it's God's will or there's a greater plan and you just feel, oh, you Come know, on. It, it, maybe I really believe that there were, there were 70 right answers, but those weren't the ones. the ones. So that little bit you heard was from VIP, April 22nd, 1998. For credits, we've got drums by Matt Chamberlain, bass by George Porter Jr., guitars by Willie Porter, no relation, pedal steel guitar by Al Perkins, and Kurtzweil, boozy, and vocal by Tori Amos. Mm. This song, David, has an interesting history. I'll be the judge of that. This mommy has an interesting career. 
We first see it on the From the Choir Girl Hotel four-song sampler that was released prior to the album. That's the first time we see this song appear in all her glory, which is where I'm assuming the little clips came from. But the interesting thing is the next time that we see this song is a heartbreaking solo piano version from the EPK prior to the album's release. So roll that, Oliver. Ashamed that I was a good friend of American soldiers. We next see it on From the Choir Girl Hotel, released on May 4th in the UK and May 5th in the United States, and that is 1998. I was waiting for you to say Cinco de Mami. Cinco de Mami. Cinco de Mama. The next time we see it is on an advanced promo for Tales of a Librarian called Select Chapters from Tales of a Librarian. It's an official CDR and it's marked as traceable. Mm. Like, don't you dare bootleg these songs you've already heard. Who leaked Mary? (laughs) It's all over the internet now. People were clamoring for Mary 2003. (laughs) Who leaked the reworked greatest hits version of Playboy Mommy? Unbelievable. Who's your daddy? It next appears on Tales of a Librarian. (laughs) Obviously, it was from the Select chapters and then the actual 2003 disc i never was there was there when it counts i get my way you're so like me we next see it on one original bootleg from 2005 boston massachusetts august 21st 2005 it seemed ashamed ashamed of that i was a good friend to american soldiers we next see it on a piano in 2006 in a remixed version i can't find those church bells that played when you died played a demo version. Oh, pass on a piss on the days and on the rights And when the rights are coming out I say when you die someday Oh, Corina Remember 2006 when it was still kind of scandalous to have two mommies? I used to live in Ithaca. I lived in Ithaca way before 2006, and that's all anyone has there is two moms. Oh, really? It's lesbian (laughs) haven. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Is it like the island from Wonder Woman where it's all just like beautiful women together appreciating their bodies and their cycles? (laughs) Somehow it wasn't the movie for me. (laughs) We last see the song appear on one leg and boot on October 21st, 2007 from Montreal, Quebec. It's an Isabel show. But Tori Amos plays Playboy Mommy. Mm, sure does. Don't judge me so harsh, little girl. So you gotta play Boy Mommy, come home. But when you tell them soldiers, my name. So it's kind of present throughout her career, more so than some other songs. Yes. You know, it's on the greatest hits, both. Yes, she did not miss an opportunity to include it on two greatest hits collections. So it must be a very important song to her. And it's on two different official 
live batches. It's on the 05 batch and it's on the 07 batch. Mm-hmm. So. A little interesting that she didn't choose to include it on the live to Venus and back disc. You think she played it off it enough in 98? Yeah, I do. And because this is such an important track from this album, I wouldn't have been surprised if she had chosen it. I would have loved to have seen a double live disc and a single orbiting then still orbiting and still still orbiting that's what i wanted to see still 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 orbiting i know but tori's always withholding the live tracks it's true just like a mother Ugh. she withholds her love i'll turn this live track around yeah should we get into the quotes i don't know if i'm ready i was wrong i'm ready oh well i'm glad to hear it because yeah. we're starting great this is from the times metro april 11th 1998 tori says after it happened i mean how do you find where do you go and look for souls that are gone I needed to communicate. I didn't think about what she needed. Then I thought that maybe she didn't choose me as a mom. Then I got pissed off and thought, okay, go and choose Susan down the street then, that right-wing Christian bitch. Suddenly she is back when it happened and it all pours out. I haven't asked, but she insists on telling in a trembling monologue half to herself. I got in the truck, an hour's drive to the hospital. I'd been at the beach and I started bleeding and I was in pain. I drove myself because, you know, I didn't want anyone driving. I would have crawled out of my skin. I had to do something. And, you know, I was asking myself, is there anything I can do to save this life? Stick a cork inside yourself, Tori. And then we got there into the room and the nurse broke down and cried. She put me on the table, gave me this scan. I reached out to her and she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, let me see it. And it was just, it was just one of those things. Very honest, very hard to hear, or very hard to read. Interesting how the journalist says, I haven't asked, but she insists on telling. We've seen that happen a couple times in interviews where she, for whatever reason, just decides to share something. And I'm Mm. wondering if it's, you know, a function of the journalist that she feels comfortable with, or if it's just the day where she's dealing with something and needs to talk. What do you think? Combination of both, totally. Like, yeah, it's probably just the day and she needs to talk, but also it's the right person and the right rapport. Mm. You know, I think there are certain journalists where she wouldn't necessarily be so open with. There is a quote, we read it in the primer where she's like, I couldn't have this happen and write about it and then not talk about it. Like the choice of talking about it was made during the writing of it. Yes. I can't put this in a song and then refuse to talk about it. You know, like I, when people ask. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And do you think that's a function of the fact that she had already established what kind of artist she was and that she was so open about talking about her own experience that she couldn't just decide at that point to draw the curtain? In her past, being so confessional and being so open and honest, but also in the very present, still doing that. She has this new band. Maybe if then she decided to not write any more music that was as honest or as confessional or as personal that's where she would have maybe been able to pull back a little but because she's still presently writing such personal music it's a continued decision you know Mm -hmm. it would have been interesting to see her try to pivot though if she had decided that she didn't want to talk about her own experience too late i guess though but you know using let's say pj harvey as an example no one's like let's talk about down by the water so when did you kill your daughter like everyone knows that there's like an element of storytelling there so i mean yeah but also this is just my impression i'm a pj harvey fan as well i've listened to all her music but she never strikes me as a very warm person that i can ask questions to that's probably why people are afraid to ask her when she killed her daughter because they don't want to be next yeah well you think that but you know give Paige a margarita and she starts spilling she's just waiting to talk you just have to ask the right questions that bird is waiting to sing probably (laughs) she's like why doesn't anyone ask me questions am i intimidating why do these interviewers just stare at me (laughs) 
You know, this song, we have to talk about it. It's very personal. We had talked about the theme of the album being grief and loss. Would this be the centerpiece then for you of the album in terms of thematics? Yes, I would say so. Thematically, in terms of subject matter, yeah, for sure. There is evidence in the CD booklet from the Choir Girl Hotel on the production side where she talks about the musicians and she lists all the songs. Playboy Mommy is listed first and then Hotel in that order. It could be a complete typo, but... Let's assume for a second that it's not and walk through this with me. If it's not a typo and if it was originally track order, Playboy Mommy, Hotel, Pandora's Aquarium, and she switched it, what would be the reason for the switch? If let's just assume it's not a typo. So I'm sorry, this is the credits, not the lyric order. Yeah. I think if you look back at Tori's music, she always puts a really big song in the track two spot. We got like the cruel, right? We got God, we got blood roses. It feels to me like there's always a climactic song second to last. If you look at Space Dog, if you look at Me and a Gun, if you look at Putting the Damage On, the, the song right before the last song of any album has been this like climactic moment. So assuming that that's the truth, it may not be entirely true, but assuming that that's the case, what makes this song the climax of the album? I think there's kind of a coming to terms with the experience. And there's a bittersweet kind of melancholy quality to it as opposed to anger. It's kind of more, if we're talking about, you know, the stages of grief, let's say it's more along the lines of acceptance. And I think it also holds a lot of sympathy for women or just mothers in general who feel that they've fallen short somehow. So I think that just kind of wraps up Tori's personal experience, but also the experience of being a mother or maybe not being able to be all that you want to be or think you should be as a mother. I don't know. I just think that's kind of a lovely statement. I agree with what you said. I think that's really spot on. And I also think that idea ties into the final lines, but I'll be home to take you in my arms, which does sort of wrap that up, not wrap it up like you're done with the experience. You've been through the grief. You've been through the loss. And now you're kind of sending it off into the sky and blessing it you know, Mm -hmm. almost. And I feel that that's really encapsulated in those last lines of the song. It's not positive, but it is, it's been processed. We've worked through it. And that's why it comes at the very end too. And with that final line too, there's kind of, you know, an acknowledgement that whenever we lose someone, there will be a reunion at some point or we'll see them again. And I think Tori has revisited that theme repeatedly in her work, even recently, with the loss of her mother. And on Holly, on her new Christmas Tide EP, she sings, You'll See Her Again. And I feel like that's probably a reference to her mother. So I think throughout her work, there's kind of this thread of loss and not knowing exactly where people go when they pass away, but that they're not completely gone and that we'll see them again. That's a really great observation, especially with the new song. And I feel like also, if not through the music, where will Tori work out her grief, you know? Sure. And that it's always been there for her, like the music. And so that's just the place she goes to process. Um, You want to read this next quote, David? This is from the Boston Globe, April 28th, 1998. It's hard to talk about that experience, says Amos, and people don't know what to say to you. They say things like, I guess it's God's will, or it's all for the best, something was wrong. Those things just don't make it okay. But that's how the music started to be created. I guess the seed from the miscarriage became the seed for the record. We've talked about that a lot this season, that people will always say the wrong things or be supremely unhelpful. Yeah. Why is that? It seems like a lot of times people feel like they have to say something, you know, nobody can live in that discomfort or that uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, it is hard to acknowledge something like that. And you're always walking the line of how much is too much to say. Like, I want the person to know that I understand what they're going through, but not force them to have a conversation they don't want to have. But I think a lot of it too comes from our need to make sense of things. 
mm-hmm. kind of selfishly, even if it's not our direct experience, we're trying to kind of connect the dots like, well, why do things like this happen? I don't know, but I have to believe that there's some kind of plan. Otherwise, I'm just going to feel like a drift in a world of chaos. So it may not be entirely acknowledged to be selfish, but I do think there is a, you know, there's a self-preservation too. like when you find out how someone died, you have to kind of know how someone died, you know, and it's like maybe you're trying to put the pieces like, how can I prevent that from happening for mm-hmm. myself? What did you go through and how can I prevent that for myself? Mm-hmm. There is that element and that's just human nature, I think. Sometimes, too, it's hard to kind of meet people where they are and let them feel their feelings. We always kind of feel the need if they're in grief or having a difficult time to kind of like want to prop them up and raise their spirit somehow when that's not always what you need for sure. Right. And there's a lot of the idea that we are not comfortable living in that awkwardness, that we want to make everything better. We always want to have like the positive spin on things. Yeah. We've actually talked about this on the show before. Sometimes when someone's crying, just out of empathy, but your reaction is to say like, don't cry. Like you don't want the person to be upset, but it's almost kind of like asking them to put their feelings on mute so that you'll be more comfortable. (laughs) Well, Gwen Stefani taught us how to do that with don't speak. Don't speak. I don't want to hear your bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) This is from the Album Network, Chicago Radio, April 30th, 1998. What is the instrument in the beginning of Playboy Mommy? Is that a saxophone? This song almost has a a little bit of a jazz cabaret kind of feel to it. It's a southern... um, It was really... My mother's from Chattanooga, and... um, I really am drawn sometimes to... I'm so close to her, to her roots... I was born in North Carolina, and um, sometimes I just go back to music I didn't hear, but music I felt more in the land, if that makes any sense. And uh, it's a sample. I had it. On, I told you I had a. I had a real. Um, what do you call it these days? What's what you guys are tech brain boffin heads? What do they call it when you're maxed out? Or Kurzweil sent me something where I'm really like. Loaded. Is that the word? <laughs> Loaded up. Well, anyway, I've got all these bitchin' sounds. And so um, I was just fooling around one day. And Playboy Mommy, I just wrote it on that sound. I wrote the whole thing on that sound. And then I turned and brought the piano into it. From Attitude Magazine, May 1998, Tori says, Well, when the songs start coming to me, I don't know how they're going to come. I don't know what dresses they'll be arriving in. These songs ended up being about finding the womanhood, finding the strength in me. The loss that I went through in not being a mother to this being, and yet I found a deep love for this being that I hadn't really experienced before. Knowing that the spirit didn't want to come at this time, it was quite profound. Even though I'd loved people before and I'd had people love me before, this felt different. Mother love felt different for me. So the loss of that hit me on every level. So there's a deep sense of passion in this record, passion for life. I began to appreciate the miracle of life. I think that must be supremely devastating, especially like having that connection. I know that the mother bond is probably beyond my comprehension. I accept that and I acknowledge that. I know that that is true. And so to experience that bond and then to have it kind of taken away, Mm. I imagine that you're in grief as much as if you had carried the child to term and lost the child after it was born, you know? Mm. I'll be interested to see if this song becomes very prevalent on the next tour. I could kind of see that happening. In the EPK clip that we played at the top of the show, she references that she sees her own mother in the song. And we also know Mm -hmm. that Tori's mom had told her, you haven't really experienced a depth of love 
until you've had the love of a child or the love for your child. So I think there is Tori's experience with her own mother kind of weaving through this song. And given recent events, I wouldn't be surprised if this song pops up a lot. That's really interesting. Why don't you read this from Q Magazine, May 1998? It was a girl. That's why on Playboy Mommy I sing Don't Judge Me So Harsh, Little Girl. I had so many responses to it before I could get to the place where I am now. You see people hit their kids in stores and you just go, what force of judgment gives these people these little lives? I have a lot of questions right now. I know it's a free will planet, things happen, but you know that saying, bad things don't happen to good people? That's a painful lie, and it hits you on such a core level. I know now that I have an appreciation for the miracle of life that I didn't have, but I don't believe in the saying that it all happens for the best. It's just not appropriate. Again, the idea that these empty platitudes help no one, right? These empty cliche statements. It all happens for the best. God's plan. Right. And it just seems so dismissive. It really does. Like, well, why dwell on it? There must be a reason. Right. This is from Pink Pop Netherlands. This is a little interview before the show on June 1st, 1998. I think that this experience sort of shook me to the core because it wasn't just about me. I know that sounds very selfish, but um, when it does involve another being in another life, I just started to, I think... Um, you know, I, I, I saw sorrow in a different way. I spent a lot of time with her. And as I started to learn about sorrow, the energy force, I found that, um, you know, she goes to raves. She has a fantastic shoe collection. Um, she loves margaritas and very good red wine. And she tells really dirty jokes. And as I opened myself up to sorrow, I didn't, you know, drown in it as I have in the past before been defeated by it, I found her so multidimensional that it wasn't just like, oh, you know, um, we lost a baby and, and we shall never speak of this again. It had to be us going through, diving underneath that tidal wave. And you know, once that happened, there, there were other gifts that began to come out of it, like the songs. Why didn't you read this from Rolling Stone, June 1998? You feel death, but you're alive. You're walking between the worlds. I went through many different sides to it. You go through every question. I even went through a phase where I felt rejected. Then I began to feel a peace, and the spirit started to take me to another level of love. Like the Grinch, my heart grew three times that day. I began to feel the capacity again. I didn't know when I was going to make another record when I got pregnant. I was going to put things on hold for a while, but the music became vital again, as it always seems to. Songs started to come, and they showed me different ways of feeling and expressing, ways that surprised me. Playboy Mommy dealt with my feelings of rejection. Wasn't I good enough to be your mother? Didn't you want me? Well, don't come then. Go choose some little right-wing Christian for your mother. It's a human response. I don't think I've heard anyone else talk about that experience in quite this way. You normally kind of fault yourself, I guess. Um, That's kind Mm -hmm. of a common response. But to then go beyond that and to feel rejected, to feel rejected by a child who maybe you feel like was having second thoughts about you in the womb and decided it didn't want you for a mother. I mean, that's pretty intense. I think it aligns with the idea that we choose what lives we're going to have. We choose what bodies we're going to inhabit. Mm -hmm. So if you believe that, then you have to believe that the soul has a free will to not choose you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then fuck you. I love that because it's so honest, though. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's probably, yeah. you know, a lot of people would probably be offended by exploring that mm-hmm. idea. Or maybe privately explore it and feel ashamed to talk about it mm-hmm. or feel guilty for talking about mm-hmm. it. And that's what she does. That is what she does. This is from Alternative Press, July 1998. Tori says, I saw Playboy Mommy very much as a Magdalene figure. I saw her as someone who had become quite disreputable because of the means that she used to survive. There was something in me that aligned with this disreputable woman that people have a hard time with. Sometimes you have to accomplish things in not so pretty ways. I saw strength in her. She can do things that those women accepted in the literary circles cannot do because she can swallow. And as much as I love Alanis, I love that girl from head to toe. But Alanis, what were you going down on him in a theater for? To pick up your Coca-Cola? Give me a break. But this woman in Playboy Mommy, she'll swallow. She'll swallow a billion seeds to protect this little girl. It doesn't happen often, but don't you love when Tori decides to come for someone? Tampax. <laughs> I think she's basically saying like that Alanis at that time was too young to understand what it means to like have that mother instinct. You know, because she's still a young girl. I think that's what she means. I don't think she's coming for her specifically maybe i mean she says her by name (laughs) so that's pretty specific no you're right and that there's kind of a more mature look at how a woman can use her womanhood or her sexuality to Mm -hmm. protect a child or do what she needs to do and that there's no shame in that and it's not about pleasing a man yeah i want alanis's response to this we should tweet at her and see if she'll respond i think she'd write a song in the style of an open letter dear tori i want her to respond and be like why was i going down on him in a theater because i wanted to because i enjoyed it i was reaching for my coke at my feet and i thought well why not i'm down here not every blowjob has to mean something that's my motto (laughs) you live by it not during a pandemic i don't from westward August 27th, 1998. Why don't you read this? But I'm going to play the reporter. Okay. The one thing I talked about with the baby was that I made a promise to show her different faith systems and beliefs so that she could make up her own mind. I wasn't given that opportunity. I was only taught the Christian way, that their God is the only real God, which is really quite arrogant. Unfortunately, Amos was unable to make good on this pledge, but even though she shared her body with the transient inhabitant of her womb for a too brief span of time, she says she learned a great deal from her. On this record, it was really about me trying to speak to the spirit of the baby. She had taught me so much about love, and even though I lost her in the physical, I don't feel like I've lost her influence. I've heard her talk, you know, obviously throughout the cycle, she's had several quotes where she's like, I couldn't bring this spirit into being, and I was given song girls instead. And so then, I'm not saying that everything happens for a reason, because that, we've talked, is empty platitudes, but it's, it's just interesting by design how a life continues on, and how, it's like in that first line of Fiona Apple's new album, every print I left upon the track has led me here, and next year it'll be clear that this was only leading me to that. It's not that everything happens for a reason necessarily, but when you look back on your life, when you reflect on it, like I couldn't have gotten here without this happening, And I thought that that was a thing, but actually that led me to this. I mean, it's a life, you know? It's just interesting to me how tragic events can be turned into something that is positive in the long run. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, that knowledge kind of makes it hard in the moment, like we were talking about, to not meet someone with, well, things happen for a reason. Because ultimately, we feel like that's true in most cases, but you need so much distance from it to get to that point. You can't force Mm -hmm. someone to get there before they're ready. 
everybody. And also, everything happens anyway. If this hadn't happened, a whole series, a whole different series of events would have happened. So, like, anything would happen. You know, things happen. So I understand why it's so offensive to say things happen for a reason. Because, yes, this happened, and that led me to these songs, and that led me to this. But... If this hadn't happened, this would have led me to this other thing and that. And you could say this happened for a reason still, no matter what. It's empty. Yeah. Everything happens. Things happen. Things happen. Life happens. Time is going to pass. Exactly. I try not to make like small talk often and kind of small talk irritates me a little bit because I find it so empty and I understand why she's angry about it when people are making these empty statements to her. Mm -hmm. Like you could just not say anything, you know? Yes. I'd rather say nothing than say something that is meaningless. Exactly. And also they're probably saying this to her while she's trapped in an elevator with them. I do appreciate that you don't feel the need to fill the space, Eve, but sometimes it makes it hard when we're hosting a podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. I had nothing to say. <laughs> Good one. See what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. This is from the Illinois Entertainer, September 1998. And I'm just going to imagine that this was on my birthday. I really accepted my feelings on this. And they change, you know, sometimes. It's been a year and a half since I lost the baby. And the record isn't just about that. It's about how my views on the life force changed. I don't find this record depressing, really. There are moments of sadness for me on it. I really spent time with sorrow on this record. And I said, I really realize that sorrow goes to raves every Friday night. And that she looks at life differently because she understands tears. But that doesn't mean that she she doesn't have a dirty little laugh. She has all that, but she just sees life from a different angle. That's really what this record was all about. There's a theater company. This is going to go somewhere, I promise. There's a theater company called the Actors Gang, Tim Robbins, and their whole thing is to be in state, S-T-A-T-E, in state. And so you've got to be in the state of joy, or you've got to be, you know, there's different states that, you're in, that you can be in, and that, that's what their training is. If I re- understand it correctly, it's that you're in joy, or that you're in fear, or that you're in grief. You're really experiencing that state right? And so when you go see a play, I remember seeing an Actors Gang production that my friend was in, and it was good. The play was good, and it was vibrant, and there was a lot going on. But this one character happened to be in a state of grief, and my friend played that character and spent the whole first act with a shocked look on her face, almost, in this just pure state of grief where she just was streaming tears silently. She wasn't wailing. It was just this state And so it seems to me that Tori's perspective, at least as I understand it and how I appreciate it, is that every state has, it's just like looking at life from a different angle, right? That she sees life differently, but she still has a life. Yes, she's in grief, but she parties still. She drinks a little, you know, like it's not just grief, that it's grief with a life. It's a different way of looking at the world. Is that how you take this quote? I do, and I also think, we've talked about this on the show before, if you're going to experience life in all of its fullness, you're going to experience hardship. You kind of just have to let yourself feel everything, the good and the bad, and not try to avoid it too much. I think a lot of us are scared of our own feelings. Some people are afraid of their own anger, and I'm sure a lot of people Mm -hmm. are afraid of sorrow or the idea of experiencing death and grief, and so they try to avoid it, but that's really impossible, and you just kind of end up causing yourself more pain. So I think Tori Mm -hmm. is leaning into that place of it's painful, but I'm going to, and I have to let myself experience all of this and not be so afraid that I'll be consumed by it. Yeah, you mentioned that in the spark episode say you don't want it again and again but you don't really mean it mm-hmm. it's that same idea i would rather feel the range of emotions and feel the range of life than to be happy all of the time or i mean i don't know it seems like blissful people are also blissfully ignorant and that would be lovely for a while 
I'd rather experience the pain. Well, let's be honest. People who haven't had to experience a lot of hardship in their lives aren't that interesting. <laughs> They're really not. Because they haven't had to be. Exactly. Like, oh, great story. Tell me again how you got your Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> From Aquarian Weekly, September 30th, 1998. In one article, you said, you feel death, but you're alive. You're walking between the worlds. I said that, yeah. I've lost my grandfather, who was my favorite person, and I've lost some friends. Losing a baby like that was a different feeling because I was helpless to do anything. There was no deal I could make, even if it was Tori, walk to Japan and you can save the baby's life. I wasn't given those options. So, during the making of this whole record, I was still trying to make contact with the spirit of this being. Not through Ouija boards or anything, but just really trying to look up at the sky at night and seeing how huge it is out there. Deep space is endless. If we think that the Pacific Ocean is big, it's like, where do souls go when they leave this plane? Nobody knows how to answer, not for a fact. I was just really trying to not conjure up her talking to me. I didn't want it to be out of the madness of my own grief. I was really trying to listen. It was through the songs where I got the most communication. Playboy Mommy and Spark. That makes me feel good about this song, how there's a little bit of blame, there's a little bit of anger, there's a lot of grief, you know, and that it's that wide range because if this is how she felt was the most honest communication between this being and herself, mm. we are in this state with her, you know, and we're kind of going through that with her or we're understanding what that moment is like in a way, like it's a transmission from that moment. Yeah, and I feel like this is the opposite side of the coin of an IAE, which is really about just Tori's experience and her grief. And this mm -hmm. is more of a dialogue. Yes. From Magical Blend magazine. What are they blending? I don't know, but it's magical. January 1999. I've been racing my boat lately. It's really small, 14 feet. I'm trying to learn the skill of taking waves and weaving in and out of the water. I just love being out on the water and having all of these massive boats pass by and get me all wet. I did something a couple of days ago that was totally humbling. I went out into the big ocean and my tiny little boat because it was very calm and it was such a good feeling. I'm a bit cynical about religious deities right now, but some Sometimes you go out to the ocean and it's really simple. Ocean, big. In a sense, your faith gets restored because if a storm kicks up, then a storm kicks up. It's not personal. With religions, I was taught if you do X, Y, and Z and you confess and you pray and you ask to be absolved and you do all these things, then God will respond. And that's a lie. There's no guarantee that God will do anything. I'm really learning it's a free will planet and certain things are going to happen to certain people. No matter how loving you are or how giving you are, you might face loss tragically. And there's no get out of loss free card just because you go to church. Tori is cynical about religious deities? No. I want to tell you a little story, just a brief little story, because I understand this quote. My friend, I had never been on a boat, then I had gotten into a major car accident where for some, I like walked away unscathed, basically, and I decided like, this is the time to do anything that I ever wanted to do because life is precious. And so I had never been on a boat, and this guy I knew, Ted, has a boat, a little boat. So he took us out on a boat, me and my friend Cowie, he took us out on this boat. And it was like this tiny little boat, and we're out in Long Beach, on the water and it's like a little boat okay probably about 14 feet very small and he gassed it up and we like are kind of just going around the like bayou what's it called the buoy no the harbor harbor thank you that's the word i was looking for and then we spotted the buoy out in the middle and he's like going towards the buoy he's like you see this little line of buoys <laughs> i don't know any ocean terms or water <laughs> terms i don't know boating lingo Boendorfers? What are they called? <laughs> Bodendorfer. It's a Bodendorfer. <laughs> so I, he goes past this little line of buoy things, like the little dingy things. What are they called? A buoy, the yeah. Floating balls. Yeah. yeah. So we go through it. There's like a little exit from 
where we were through the line and he's like now we're in the ocean so that's when she, it got really real and like turns out he's not the best boater great yes I, I didn't know that now a warning <laughs> well no he never warned us he didn't have to warn us we discovered that on our own so <laughs> he's boating us I guess driving the boat and there's giant waves coming and it's starting to get a little wavy and at one point legitimately the little boat rocks up and I am up in the air facing down and I see the water. I see literally like I could, if the inertia hadn't held me against the side for that brief moment, I would have fallen into the water. And that moment is when I realized I don't know how to swim. What am I doing out here? It just got so real right then. It just became so immediate. So I just want to tell that story because I feel like that's the humbling experience that Tori's talking about is like, shit's gonna happen you have no control literally oh my goodness with the gale your little boat was tossed yes <laughs> Ephraim's foolish ginger well how was i to know so that's my little boat story this is from london a musically punctuated conversation with music journalist lucy o'brien from november 18th 2003 because it's quite interesting you would, you would say, say about the song playboy mummy that um on rehearing it you felt very differently from when you actually recorded it I think when um, I recorded that, that was a really painful time, and some of you that are here know that. Um, and it was it was an odd thing because I remember a journalist coming to visit me, and when I was in London, and he said, you know, um, why do you have that bandaid on your arm? You know, are you doing drugs again? I said, what are you talking about? And he said, um, no, what, you know, the word is that you're involved in all kinds of stuff. And I said, no, I miscarried. And um, I think that that time was a time of um, just incredible loss and emptiness. And so when I was visited by, it seemed like all these children and all these mothers from another plane while I was writing Choir Girl. Um, and I would walk out and almost feel their ghosts coming up over the water because we were in the tropics. And um, the songs would wrap around me and there was this one little girl that, you know, said that she had left this plane and she loved the mom here but it wasn't right and she said so i'm gonna find another mommy like you were little girl and in that moment i um the song came to me and when i recorded it though it um, seemed like a a grieving and when we listened back we discovered that she had so much love, this woman, and we were comparing her with different Maltese of that time. And there was something, the reason she made it on the record is because we had no idea that, um, yes, she lost the child, but she was given the gift to love in a way that she had never, ever loved before. And we all heard that when we listened back, and that was a surprise. Let's read from the Up Piano liner notes. You want to split this? Sure. It's an important song to me. Playboy Mommy came from writing Spark, writing at the beach house after I miscarried. 
Although Pele is one of the most soul-searching records about bloodletting, Choir Girl is about loss and emptiness. This was a very dark time for me. I kept seeing all these children that had been separated from their mother. They seemed to be coming through the door with the songs ushering them in. I saw the song shadowed by these children, and it appeared to me as this hotel with the choir ushering themselves in and out through doorless entrances. Throughout this time, I would lay on the sand, on the earth, and I would cry to the great mother for the loss of this being. She didn't come back at that time, but I think that the songs did instead, and I think that was the gift. Choir Girl was about beginning to see that there are different kinds of fertility and creation. I had to acknowledge that maybe that is what I needed to value for a little while. So Playboy Mommy was something that was really healing for me. For this box set, to have Spark, as it was from that time, sit next to a new version of Playboy Mommy, which is a version remixed after Natasha was born, is indicative of the shift. It has a spirit to it now, a real hip sway, which was captured by the musicians at the time it was recorded onto tape, but was not highlighted by me in the original mix. Maybe that's because I could only see the sadness of Playboy Mommy mommy in 1997, so I pushed it in that direction. This works for Spark and all its angst, but Playboy Mommy has a fertility about her that I couldn't include at the time because consumed by all the pain, I had cut the umbilical cord of her fertility. We have a demo of this song. Strangely enough, I found it only last week when I was poking around the beach house, looking in my painted boxes that I have lying around. Clearly, I thought in 1997, oh, I'm going to hide these tapes in a painted box, and I'll know exactly where to go and find them. Of course, I forgot. But the other day, we were looking through what looked like tapes and tapes of nothing, and I discovered wood that said choir girl demos on it, and it really took me back. Playboy Mommy was one of the demos developed at the beach house, where I had laid on the earth and wept, tried to make some sort of deal that my daughter would come back to me. What you're hearing on this demo is what I was playing around with while the tape happened to be running. You might recognize portions that later end up in the completed song. Sometimes the songs do come in snippets like this. So I think it's really interesting. Let's talk about this. There's a couple things I want to discuss. One, there could just be a box of Tori Amos demos floating around somewhere. You just got to find the right spot. We need a treasure map. They're going to show up at some point. Like some property is going to become an Airbnb and someone's going to find a box of demos under the bed. What's it going to say? It's going to say to Venus and back instrumentals. Mm -hmm. They need to find that soon. We need those. (laughs) But also what I want to talk about is the idea that this song transmuted itself into a different, it meant something different in the long run. And I like how she acknowledges, like, I could only hear the sadness in it and I could only respond to the sadness in it at that time. And then later, now that I have become a mother and we remixed it, it was something that was different to me. And I felt like a little hip sway. So I pushed that. That's her talking through how these songs change shape for her. Mm -hmm. And I find those conversations really interesting. It is. And we kind of know that to be true, but it's so interesting to hear her talk about how her experience or mindset actually influences the sound of the song or the mix of the song. And that if she was making Mm -hmm. that choice at a later point, she would do things differently. And we know that to be true because I think that's why we see, you know, those reworked versions of IIE and Cruel, where she's sort of reassessing with some distance from the personal experience that bird the songs and then she changes how she would have technically brought them to life i guess and it makes me feel too like i might not be so dismissive of tori when she reworks something because normally i'm like okay she added some bass she took out down there but it's probably a lot more emotional than i realized uh-huh. so <laughs> i need to respect her decisions as a mother creator from one mother to another should we get into the line by line i guess we should platforms I hit the flow I fell face down 
didn't help my brain out. This is from Seattle End Session, September 11th, 1998. I had written this thing and I couldn't get the first line. And um, I was in uh, France with my friend Beanie. I go a lot of places with my friend Beanie. And um, we were with another friend of hers and her mother. Anyway, two of them were having an argument, right? So I decided champagne for everybody was a good idea. And that's what you do in France. And it, wa it was like after lunch. So that's good. That's improvement. And um, anyway, they make very good champagne. We had Krug. And if you, know, if you ever have that experience, just like even if you have to steal it, it's really worth the experience. <laughs> So, okay, I send champagne around because everybody's arguing. And then Beanie comes to, like, update me on the fighting and who's winning. And so um, I'm standing at the top of the stairs. I'm in the schmoozy suite. I'm embarrassed to say, but I was. And so we're standing at the top. And she goes, you know, let's go out um, to the deck and talk about this. So it's a one of those round staircases like they had in the love boat. And so I'm in these um, Prada Sweetie platforms. And um, I'm at the top of the stairs, and I fall all the way down the stairs because I trip on my Prada shoes. Serves me right. So I trip all the way down, and um, I lie flat on my face. And I swear to Christ, I'm lying flat, and my nose is like um, taped to the rug. And I said, "Oh, Beanie, I I need more champagne. This is so horrible." <laughs> But, but I laid there and I said, oh my God, Beanie, oh my God, I have the first line. In my platforms I hit the flow, I fell first down, didn't help my brain out. In my platforms I hit the floor, fell face down, didn't help my brain out. I love this insight to Tori's process and we see that she kind of pulls in her own experiences but she connects them in a way that isn't necessarily factual in terms of how they happened or chronological let's say exactly but that her life experience is kind of peppered throughout the larger song it goes back to what we talked about on the very last episode hotel where she says that's what storytelling is that's why you have storytellers because it might not be interesting one way you've got to shape it and she can shape it. Mm-hmm. She can contour it. Mold it, like in the movie Ghost. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my Tori. I always imagine Mark wrapping his arms behind Tori, like in the movie Ghost, how Patrick Swayze does to Demi Moore, except for they're over a stove making chocolate for their chocolate fountain, and they're just, like, together twirling a big spoon into the chocolate. Satiny, luscious chocolate. For the record, I am Odame Brown in that scenario. Tori, you in Danger Girl. <laughs> In my platforms I hit the flow I fell first down Didn't help my brain out You know, before I'd ever heard Tori explain how she got that first line, I thought that this was what literally had happened. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this line is that if she's wearing platforms and she falls face down and it ends up having some kind of traumatic effect on her pregnancy, I can't imagine not blaming myself for falling you mm -hmm. know like i know it's not your fault i know you tripped i'm talking to myself but i can't imagine not blaming myself in the long run like why was i wearing those stupid shoes it just really sets up the kind of character that carries through the song and i love how she talks about this isn't her that it's like a different version of herself mm -hmm. that she saw a different mm -hmm. kind of tori and so there's something about this line that really accesses for me what's about to happen in the song in terms of guilt and blame but I also was really sad when I heard this line for the first time and 
thinking that that's what had happened, it just, it really hurt me because I cared about her so much, you know? It just really made me sad. Then my baby came before I found the magic hell to keep her happy. So it's interesting that the lyric book notes the baby, but it sounds like she's saying my baby, then my baby came. Then my baby came before I found the magic hell to keep her happy. That's such an interesting way to say that. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting turn of phrase, the magic, how to keep her happy. What do you think? I feel like that's kind of, again, a character choice almost. When Tori kind of dips into that Southern drawl speak, like on Fast mm -hmm. Horse, like Fast Horse Darling, like she's kind of like leaving out a word or two mm -hmm. there that makes it sound kind of like down homey. Then my baby came before I found the magic hell to keep her happy. There's a lot in this line by line. It's all kind of on the page. There's not really much that's opaque about it. It's kind of, at least so mm. far, very direct in mm -hmm. terms of narrative, which mm -hmm. she's not always. It's kind of like how little Amsterdam has a story. This has a story. I want to ask you, I'm a little, it's a little unclear to me with kind of the context that we have from Tori of what inspired the song and the story that she's telling. Do we, mm -hmm. like, then the baby came sounds like a nod to miscarriage right is that how you yeah. interpret it yeah. but in but she also when speaking about the song says that she's kind of playing out this story or exploring this fantasy of actually having a daughter who she feels she let down somehow you're right that the daughter comes into the world and grows up so i'm just sort of wondering if the narrative sort of diverts at that point into a different storyline. When she sings, but then the baby came before and the magic, how to keep her happy. That's not necessarily indicating a miscarriage, but that this character has this child, but the mother wasn't prepared to be a mother. You know what I mean? Which is the first time I've ever actually explored that interpretation because obviously I, it's been colored by my own knowledge of what inspired the album. Mm -hmm. So I assumed that that line was about a miscarriage, but hearing Tori talk about exploring that idea that she has a 13-year-old daughter and she wasn't what her daughter wanted her to be, playing that out, obviously the baby came alive. Yeah. She fell and had the baby. That's very interesting. Nice catch, David. <laughs> Thwonk. That was the sound of it hitting my glove. I never was the fantasy of what you want wanted me to be. Hmm. You think that's intentional to sing both want and wanted? Because she could have just sang of what you wanted me to be, and that would have really fit the phrasing too. And that sort of indicates to me that she's singing, like both stories are happening simultaneously, that she's sort of processing both. Tori's real life experience, but also this storyline of a mother who disappointed a daughter who grew up to be 13 or whatever it is. Explain that. Go further, because I'm not sure how, what you mean, that it satisfies both. Because to me, I hear that as a way to keep time, because it's she needs one extra beat. I'm sure you're right, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like of what you want is present tense, meaning here I am with a 13-year-old daughter, and I'm letting you down now, and wanted me to be as in the past, and maybe that's the spirit of the baby who decided to go somewhere else. Mm, interesting, because she does sing it very clearly as both. She never extends the wanted me to be ever into one phrase. Mm -hmm. It's very clearly live, always want, wanted me to be, so... Mm -hmm interesting but she's also said that she was communicating with the spirit and that the spirit mm -hmm. is still very much around in a different form so 
Mm-hmm. She could just be speaking to that spirit as well, too. Like, you're still wanting me to be something different. Or also it indicates a passage of time, like what you want being present and wanted being past, that I've never been what you wanted mm-hmm. me to be. I've never been good enough. And that's an interesting thing. I want to explore that idea about a parent who's not what you wanted them to be or can't measure up to what your expectation of what they should be, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like that resonates a lot in my life. I grew up with 80s television, which was ultimately the most amazing thing in the world, but also really detrimental to my like picture of what reality was, Mm -hmm. right? I assumed that everybody had the family that the Full House family was or that the Family Matters family was. Everybody was very close. And so that's what I, it left me feeling lacking in some way that my family didn't do those things or that my family didn't have those conversations or didn't seem as close, right? Mm -hmm. So I built up this expectation that my parents could never really measure up to. And I want to explore that as we go through the song too, Mm -hmm. like what that means as the child, what that means as the 13 year old (laughs) that I still am Mm -hmm. having to, you know, not having to accept your parents for what they are, but choosing to, because you don't have to accept it. Mm. You know, you can live a life of turmoil and discord, Mm -hmm. or you can choose to accept them for who they are and move on. And I think that's an interesting shift because so often the conversation is about children disappointing their parents, right? But Mm -hmm. there comes a point where you become an adult and you see that your parents are really just people and that they're capable of making mistakes and maybe they've disappointed you somehow and they become a little more human. (laughs) Yeah, my mom was really young when she had me. So it's like this character in the song is obviously not ready to have a child whether or not the age is a factor the baby comes before she finds the magic how to keep her happy so that she's not ready whatever the circumstance and i feel like when you're very young and you have a baby you're not ready for the reality of it you know mm-hmm. you don't understand you're, you're still a baby you don't understand what raising a human being is going to be like mm. don't judge me so harsh little girl so you gotta play ball don't judge me so harsh, little girl. So you got a playboy mommy. What is a playboy mommy, David? Um, to you, is it a woman who's been with a lot of men that is now a mother? Yeah, I think so. Or someone who's, at the very least, someone who's not traditionally maternal. Mm-hmm. But Tori specifically referenced Mary Magdalene, of course. And she references, you know, prostitution quite a bit, kind of, you know, linked to Mary Magdalene, of course. So I think she's exploring this character or this aspect of herself, who is maybe a sex worker, or at the very least has led an unconventional life, but she's doing her best with this child. I think this line ties in to the next line, obviously. Because she's asking her own daughter not to judge her so harsh because she knows a lot of men, but it's because I know a lot of men that you will always be safe. Like they will never hurt you because I know them and they know me and we have a relationship that is unlike any other relationship they have because I know them intimately. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to fuck with me. And because they're not going to fuck with me, they're not going to fuck with you. So don't judge me so harsh because you're going to always be safe. It's, it's what kept you safe. It goes back to that quote where she says, fuck off, Alanis. I'd blow him in a theater just to save my daughter's life or whatever the yeah. quote was. And I think that's kind of what so you got a playboy mommy. It's like kind of a shrug. Like, yep, that's who I am. But I do what I have to do. And I don't mm-hmm. want to feel shamed by it. And maybe someday you'll understand why. Yeah, it's that idea of someday you might understand. And also I take that so 
as like a luck of the draw moment, where if you're choosing your own life that you're stepping into, if, you, if you're the soul choosing where to go, so you chose a Playboy Mommy, or so you got a Playboy Mommy, is like the luck of the draw. When you tell them my name, you want to cross that bridge all on your own. Little girl, they'll do you no harm because they know you're Playboy Mommy. Mm. Again, the idea of I did what I had to do. Don't judge my choices. It's all in the long run because of you or for you. Mm. Do you take that line when you tell them my name, you want to cross that bridge all on your own, that there's shame on the part of the child of having this character as her mother. So she wants to sort of deny that. Like, I don't want to admit to people that you're my mother. I almost want to say I don't have a mom. I'll quote unquote, cross that bridge on my own. Don't get me wrong. I think there's definite shame or I think the character is very embarrassed to have this person as her mother. But for that particular line, I never took that that way. <laughs> because the way I read that line is when you're old enough and you want to go out on your own and you encounter these guys, they're not going to fuck with you. When, you want to, when you're ready to be on your own, when you want to cross that bridge on your own, when you, want, when you grow up, no harm will come to you because they know me. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, Maybe for I'm sure. Not. And I kind of think it holds both or that both are kind of happening here. You know, she sings, but when you tell them my name, it's like you might feel ashamed to have me as your mother, but I command respect yeah. or people know that I've got your back. So even though you might kind of want to turn on me, nothing bad will happen to you because people know I will come for them. Yeah, exactly. But when you tell them my name From here to Birmingham I got but when you tell him my name, from here to Birmingham, I got a few friends. Mm -hmm. I know a guy. Yeah, or a few. <laughs> I never was there, was there when it counts. I never was there, was there when it counts. You know, a, a big issue sometimes that people have with their parents is that you were never emotionally available for me. You know, as I get older, even though I'm not a parent, I kind of look at it from the parent's point of view, which is like, I might not have been there emotionally for you, but I was out working and paying rent and buying food and buying clothes so that you could always have things. Mm -hmm. So maybe I wasn't there emotionally for you in the ways that you wanted me to be there, but I was there for you. And that's, it's hard to be what your kids want you to be. God, kids are assholes. Get my way, you're so like me. I get my way, you're so like me. Um, I guess to me that reads as like I'm headstrong or through the lens of this character, I'm kind of a pushy broad but I always get what I want in the end. And so are you. Yeah. <laughs> the reason we kind of butt heads is because we're very similar. Yes. And when you're a kid, the last thing you want to hear is you're so like your mother, right? Or, yeah. I, or I know where you get that. You're <laughs> or like, even as an adult. Yes. You're like, no. <laughs> no. You seemed ashamed, ashamed of that I was. A good friend of American soldier seemed ashamed ashamed that i was a good friend of american soldiers i feel like there's a little wink with a good friend yeah i mean <laughs> more than a friend <laughs> you know hey get it soldiers i'm down you love I soldiers line them up like soldiers line those soldiers up like soldiers <laughs> you seemed ashamed ashamed of that i was a good friend of american soldiers Again, another way of just saying, like, what she said earlier. 
so you got to play boy mommy, but then you tell him my name. Like you, you may be ashamed of me, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm also a whore. <laughs> I mean, it's her going on yes. and on about how many men she's been with. Stop bragging. I am how the French say whore. We get it. You've slept with so many soldiers. God. We should all be so lucky. I'll say it loud here, but you're great. Those angels can't ever take my place. I'll say it loud here, by your grave, those angels can't ever take my place. Mm. I think that you are right. She might be operating in this narrative, in this story that she's writing, but also kind of the reality of what her situation is. Mm-hmm. And that might be the dialogue that's going back and forth. Like, this is what happened, and this is what would have happened if this hadn't happened. And maybe living in the future, in the past, and in the present all at once. And that might be the reason that she counts the song as one of the most honest transmissions from the time, um, that she was really just kind of working it out. I love the Tory multiverse, when all timelines and alternate realities are happening simultaneously. Yeah, because I feel like in this version where there's a 13-year-old daughter, where she is having this dialogue, then this line makes no sense. I'll say it loud here by your grave. Those angels can't ever take my place. Yes. But it makes such clear sense in the narrative of Tori's life that we know, you know? Yeah. And the inspiration for the album. That line kind of, you know, rips us out of the story and back into reality, really. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is, you know, that moment where she was saying, fine, you want to pick some right-wing Christian bitch to be your mom? Yeah. Like, I may be a devil and you may have chosen an angel, but no one would have ever loved you as much as I do mm-hmm. or I could have. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of cooling, in a way. Is your place in heaven worth giving up these kisses? Oh, Yeah, I always see that as a nod in Cooling to a romantic relationship, but maybe that's why Cooling wasn't done yet. Maybe. I mean, even if it is about a romantic relationship, it's that idea, it's that similar idea that, like, no one could ever love you as much as I do. Mm -hmm. And do you ever feel that way? Like, I don't feel that way so much anymore in terms of all-consuming passion, desire for someone. But there have been times in my life where it's like there's literally no one that could ever love you as much as I do. Yeah, that's a young um, man's game. It's a young lady's game. Thank you. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but I identify with that sentiment. So that statement in Cooling and this statement here kind of ring similar to me. Now we're like, yeah, you're right. You could probably do better. Will you do me a favor and turn the TV <laughs> on before you leave? <laughs> yeah, please. Just leave the door ajar for the next gentleman to walk through. Don't judge me so harsh, little girl. You gotta play for mommy But when you tell them on a man They wanna cross that bridge all on your own A little girl, they'll do you no harm Cause I know you play for mommy But you just tell them on a You tell them on have the chorus again now she doesn't distinguish a location between here and birmingham she just has a few friends kind of like all over yes well you just tell them on you tell them on and now she's like imploring or pleading just tell them my name you'll be safe somewhere where the orchids grow somewhere where the orchids grow So I looked up orchids, and you want to hear a little bit of the symbolism behind orchids? Yes, I do. 
white orchids symbolize innocence and purity as well as elegance and reverence. Pink orchids symbolize femininity, grace, and joy. Yellow orchids symbolize friendship and new beginnings. They make great gifts for a friend to celebrate an accomplishment. Purple orchids symbolize royalty and admiration, and they're traditionally given as a sign of respect. And orange orchids symbolize pride, enthusiasm, and boldness. But all orchids are symbols of fertility and elegance. Mm. So what do you think she means by somewhere where the orchids grow? Mm. I think choosing the orchids specifically, as you said, it sort of can symbolize elegance, is sort of the polar opposite of who the Playboy mommy character feels herself to be. Mm. So that child has gone on and maybe found a different mother that represents all of those things. Yeah, because I assumed that when I was going to search for orchids, that it was going to be sort of a symbol of death or grief or loss, you know, like a calla lily or something like that that you Mm. take to a funeral. But it's not. It's a symbol of fertility. And I think this ties into the next line. I can't find those church bells that played when you died. I can't find those church bells that played when you died. So we're back in that version of the timeline where the character has died, where the daughter has died. But the, the orchids symbolizing fertility and elegance is that she has chosen something that is the exact opposite of what the Playboy Mommy character considers herself to be, like you said. Mm. And now the Playboy Mommy character can't find those church bells. There's no beauty. There's no grace. There's no faith. I think I can't find those church bells is also a way of her saying that she's looking for the spirit of the child. And, you know, that was present in some of the quotes that we read, too, where she was really Mm -hmm. trying to find her and that she felt like she was out there somewhere. When we listen to the demo, this part is in the demo. It's very hymnal, right? Would you say? It's very like hymn inspired. Yeah, I would. Specifically with the use of the word Hosanna. Yeah. And so I'm glad that it made it into the song. And I feel like it was kind of the birth of the song Mm -hmm. in a way, is that idea of like calling out to the heavens and trying to make sense of something that you don't understand in the physical. Don't judge me so harsh, you Don't judge me so harsh, little girl. You got a Playboy mommy. Come home. Here again, it's kind of like that Can't You Just in Hotel where it's like her kind of screaming out. The come home feels like it's very immediate. Mm-hmm. Asking, just come back to me. Coming from such like tragedy. This to me is like the Tory that's on the beach, wet in the sand, like crying and and going through it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Even, you know, that moment she talks about driving in the truck, just like maybe I can just like hold on to this life. Mm-hmm. Do something. Yeah. But when you tell them soldiers my name, cross that bridge on your tell those soldiers my name and cross that bridge all on your own we haven't talked about the idea of the crossing the bridge obviously being a symbol of moving on into the next dimension or death and so that takes it into the spiritual realm like she's spiritually known a lot of men and those spirits of those people won't hurt you either Mm. because i've i know them you know and if we're going to go back into this religious context of her being you know we got gloria and hosanna make an appearance in the song and so she is a church girl she is a choir girl so spiritually, they won't harm you either. Even though you've chosen not to be here with me in the present, I'm doing what I can that there was some benefit for you being with me for the time that you spent with me because now they'll do you no harm because I know them. 
And I think that line in particular, little girl, they'll do you no harm because they know you're a playboy mommy, really captures what Tori said about the lengths that she or this character would go to to protect this child. And that mm-hmm. the child doesn't necessarily know or get that, but everyone else does. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. I know that you don't have kids either, and neither do I. But looking at this from our age now, where if I were my parents now, I have an adult child. Because my parents had me when they were very young. So I can't imagine. Like, I remember being, even in, when I was 16, 17, 18, looking at my parents like they were so old. And like they couldn't possibly understand, you know, and we couldn't possibly relate to each other. Yeah. I think that's been my struggle my whole life is that I have this like strange authoritarian complex where it's like people like teachers and parents feel so much older than me. I've had to battle that now that I'm older and I am. I teach teenagers who I'm like, no, you can't look at me like I'm that old. I'm really your age. Like I'm cool. (laughs) I'm a cool playboy mommy. Yeah, exactly. I'm not like any other playboy mommy. I'm a cool playboy mommy. Exactly. (laughs) If your kids are going to do theater, I prefer you to do it at school. (laughs) If you're going to smoke orchids, smoke them in the house. (laughs) And then with this line. But I'll be home. I'll be home to take you in my That kind of says, when you're ready, I'll be there. And also, there will be a reunion, like you said earlier. Yeah. We'll see each other again, either in this life or when I meet you in the next life. Mm. Oh, my God. I'm getting emotional. I know. Mash it up with Janet's together again. Janet Jackson? No, Sister Janet. Oh, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Sister Janet Mead? We love her. (laughs) What is your favorite lyrical moment in this song, David? I think I will go with, I'll say it loud here by your grave, those angels can't ever take my place because it's so clear and honest and visceral. I can see that line making people uncomfortable. How about you? I have two. I'm going to go with, then the baby came before I found the magic, how to keep her happy. The way she phrases that. The reason I chose that one first is because I remember at a certain point, I would say like oh two, oh three, oh four, somewhere in there, I was singing Playboy Mommy to myself. You know, sometimes like you get a song stuck in your head and I couldn't remember that phrase, the magic, how to keep her happy. Then the baby came before I found the, the, how, the, how to, the magic of how, like I couldn't remember the phrase and I had to go back to listen to the song. I was like, wait, that's such an interesting way to say that. Like, that's when it stuck out to me suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it's such Tory speak. But the magic how, I don't know why. To me, it's really pretty. It's really like a very nice way to say that. But I think ultimately the line that I find the most meaning in is um, somewhere where the orchids grow. I can't find those church bells that played when you died. Mm-hmm. Played Gloria talking about Hosanna. I like the way she weaves that into the hymnal. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite vocal moment? I think maybe the kind of lilting vocalization coming out of the bridge into somewhere where the orchids grow. Oh, okay. But also the final lines, I'll be home, I'll be home to take you in my arms. There really is kind of a desperation. And her Mm -hmm. voice does sound kind of deep and world-weary. That's maybe one of the first moments on record at this point in her career where I actually feel like she's experimenting a little bit with vocal styling and a different character comes through where she's not just singing Mm -hmm. in Tory voice, so to speak. Oh, interesting. I never looked at it that way, but I hear, I understand what you're saying because it is very different. And I always attributed that difference to that she was overcome with grief. And then sometimes in like live, instead of I'll be home, I'll be home. Instead of that, she says, I'm coming home. Have you ever noticed that? She says Uh that sometimes. Yeah. It just makes me sad. But yeah, I would agree that like that is a a stellar vocal moment because it is so evocative at the end, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that it's evoking to you and to me, but it is 
very clearly like a moment. I also, of course, like Gloria talking about Hosanna again, just because her voice does something when it goes into that sort of spiritual incantation. Mm-hmm. It just does something different that I really like. It kind of has this like vibrato lilt to it. Oh, you know that? I like that a lot. Awesome. 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 <laughs> I guess you could say Playboy Mommy is pretty cool. <laughs> That's a cool song. You know, we didn't talk about this on the last episode, and I'm humiliated by it. But what actress would you choose to cast as Playboy Mommy in the film version of From the Choir Girl Hotel? Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett. Really? Haven't you cast her in every role? No, I haven't cast her in any roles. She won't take my calls. <laughs> How so? Why so? How come? I could just see her, you know, with her smudged eyeliner, tousled hair, world-weary, but still beautiful, still gorgeous. How about you? This is difficult. I know who I would cast. I'm going to make a shocking casting choice. Are you ready for this? I don't want to be shocked, Sane. I'm going to cast Elizabeth Shue fresh off of leaving Las Vegas as the hooker because I feel like there's something really exotic about her, and I feel like she knows pain, and I feel like she knows men in that movie Mm. and so that is the kind of quality that i would ask her to bring into this role those sort of deeper more tragic qualities that she plays in leaving las vegas that's my playboy mommy Mm. you know like smoking at the table drinking a glass of wine and just kind of being dark like that's what i want in my playboy mommy Mm -hmm. can i give you a backup answer go ahead my second choice is Felicity Huffman. Really? Yes. She may be a little long in the tooth at this point, but I think she's <laughs> a great <laughs> But I think she's a great actress and I think in light of recent events this would be a good way for her to sort of work out her own business. She's demonstrated that she is willing to take shocking action to protect her own child or at least to get her into an Ivy League school. She's like, I'll blow a dude or fake your SATs. I don't care. Whichever you need. All right, your second choice. Well, I'm going to choose Pam Greer from Jackie Brown. Mm. That Pam Greer. I'm going to choose the one who's known pain. (laughs) She's known darkness and she knows men and she will protect you. You know, she's going to go to any length to protect her. What's important to her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's my Playboy mommy, too. If for some reason Elizabeth Shue doesn't accept the call. Thank you. Thank you. I love that I'm picturing Elizabeth Shue as your sort of epitome of exotic. Hey, those were adventures in babysitting. Hi, Michael. Hi, Eve. Can you believe we're almost done with this album? No, truly no. Truly no. I never (laughs) thought we'd finish. (laughs) What is your favorite singular moment in all of Playboy Mommy? This is hard. I I mean, it has an iconic opening couplet. So I think I'm going to choose the opening as a singular moment. What lyric from Playboy Mommy resonates with you more than any other? I love the soldier's motif, which I just read to represent men on the whole. But like the Playboy Mommy is is mourning in some way the fact that she won't be there to prevent her daughter from making the same mistakes as she did. But but like couching it in that, in the soldiers, as an image is great, I think. Should Playboy Mommy finally be allowed to enter the great American songbook? Why or why not? Yes. I feel very strongly about this. Perfect American Songbook candidate. It is, it's a folk narrative, which is, I think, what the American Songbook is about. What are some other examples of the American Songbook? I want to say, like, Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. Oh, yeah. We need this, I guess this chapter of the American Songbook is about kind of, like, folk narrative. We need a full story. We need full characters. We need kind of full divestment from the performer. You know, like, really lives lives separately. And it could be played 
by anyone and sort of resonate the same way, detached from the artist, him or herself. Of everywhere in the world, where is the perfect place to listen to Playboy Mommy? I've never been to Arkansas, but that's what I'm going to say. We need Arkansas dive bar, like neon peanut shells on the floor, <laughs> beer, motorcycles. Smoke in the air. Of course. Who is more direct, Tori and Playboy Mommy or you with your own mommy? I guess Tori. I mean, when it comes to dealing with men and sex, I think Tori is being more direct here. There's no shade to my mother, who, though modest, is certainly honest. Who would play Playboy Mommy in a modern-day adaptation of From the Choir Girl Hotel and why? Okay, I've realized through these questions, I'm so bad at, at casting. Don't put me in charge <laughs> of the movie. But I guess, like, for the visual, we're taking Miss Julianne Moore and we're giving her some washed-out, like, aging punk styling. Ooh. You know, like, faded leather, little crusty eyeliner. Finish this sentence. Platforms are to Playboy Mommy as what is to Michael Carley. Sun hat is my kind of most iconic piece of ready-to-wear. I'm spotted in every day, yes. What or whom do you judge too harshly that you maybe should go easier on? Soldiers, probably. Did you hear about the soldier I went on a date with? No. I had to call it a night because he wouldn't introduce me to his privates. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, they don't want to do that. They're stiff. They're no fun. <laughs> Not stiff enough. Would you ever pose for Playboy fully nude, knowing that your body would be ogled by millions of American soldiers? I would not. Really? Why not? Either they don't deserve it or they could do better. It's probably the latter, <laughs> but I'd like to believe it's the former. <laughs> Imagine yourself with giant feathers, like, over your breasts, <laughs> gazing out from the cover. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. It could be tasteful. Michael, where can people find you on Twitter? At Michael Carley. Go follow Michael. So good about working her voice in with the music, not like following her voice with the music. Mm -hmm. It's rare that we just get the melody in her voice and in the piano playing. So I didn't ever realize how sparse this was that she was just playing chords in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But it worked. It works really well in tandem with her voice, you know. the swing that she mentioned in terms of what she downplayed on the album is really evident here in just the piano and I know she was really referencing kind of tuning down the guitar probably and maybe even the percussion but I think the piano really does have a soulful sway to it here yeah I agree with you the basis for that swing in the guitar and percussion was the soulful sway of the piano too probably you know, like this does, it does have a, it has like a little hip to it, mm -hmm. you know? And it is kind of, I mean, it is mournful, but it's not overwhelmingly so. 
You know, Tori has written some sad-ass songs, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a, musically doesn't feel like one of them. No. Damn, girl, you got a porch to go with that swing? If I had a nickel for every time someone said that to me. to hear Tori talk more in depth about her choices as a producer and how she really fleshes out a song because listening to everything sort of in its barest form they sound almost complete to me like this could be Playboy Mommy with just the vocal and I would be fine with that but there's so much that goes into really breathing life into the song and some of you know often they sound so different from how they originally came to her Played when you died I mean, she is leaving so much room for Matt in the in between the spaces you know she's leaving room for the rhythm and so i feel like it's something that must have been like played together tracked together As always, Yanta nails it. Go support him at patreon.com slash Yanta if you know what's good for you. I think at this point he's on every Tory song twice. Yeah, he's written some for her. He's gone into the future <laughs> and retrieved some songs that she hasn't even written yet. Support him on Patreon. We're going to listen to another cover. Should we do another cover, David? Let's get under the covers. Too far. This is a cover of Playboy Mommy by a man. A man? A man. This is Joshua (laughs) Thomas doing Playboy Mommy, and I appreciate that he doesn't call it Playboy Daddy. Can you imagine? We would not be playing it. Could you know? Playboy Dilf. Playboy (laughs) Dilfy. Never was there 
Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby. Hey, Colin. How you been? Hello. I've been good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good. Welcome back. Welcome home. Yes, it's good to be back. I'm very surprised that it's already this far into the repertoire. <laughs> I know. So tell us what you think about Playboy Mommy. It's your signature song, right? It is my signature song. It is my number one favorite. And I mean, when I first heard it, it stood out to me. And still to this day, it means a lot to me. And whether I've been listening to it a lot or not often, it just always hits with such impact. How did you discover this song? Or how did it become something like that meant so much to you? I don't actually remember if I ever told this story back during Payway times, but um, my really, really getting into Tory phase happened while um, it was fall break, and my family was actually out of town, and I had this huge paper to write. So I was set up in the dining room with um, my laptop, and I was trying to work on this big research paper, and the only thing I listened to for that like entire week was just Boys for Payway and Choir Girl Hotel over and over and over and over which probably sounds maddening and I'm sure has some psychological <laughs> effects, but I very much enjoyed it. And uh, during that time, um, Playboy Mommy became one of the first songs that was accessible for me, really, from her. A lot of everything else, like I knew I enjoyed it. I could tell there was a lot there, but I couldn't quite dive into any real meanings in a way that felt as uh, tactile as I wanted. But pretty instantly, I got a feeling for what Playboy Mommy was about. And I'd say that's actually what I really enjoy about it is that it has a kind of emotional transparency mm. that I think you don't see so much in the surrounding songs of this album. What do you suppose drew you into it or gave you that access? Was it the sound? Was it the clear narrative? Definitely both. I mean, sonically, it does stand out a lot on the album. I love it because it's kind of like a little country girl moment. Yeah. Like more so than anything else on the album, it has this kind of like westerny twang to it and... Uh, I love the instrument at the beginning. I still don't know. Is it a... I think it's like a sax sample on her Kurtzweil. Oh, okay. It sounds very brassy, but then there's a brief moment in time where I wondered if it was an accordion. Mm. But I believe you're right. It's probably brass. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. She's talked about it like that Kurtzweil loaded her up with sounds and kind of vaguely answered the question like what the sound is. So I don't think even she knows. <laughs> I think she probably changed the name to Playboy Mommy and now she can't remember what the original sample was. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it just it stands out sonically so much from even anything else she's done. Like, I feel like uh, it's weird because it's like I said, it has this kind of twang to it, but it also feels very um, accessible in its structure. Like, it's kind of not too frivolous. It's pretty clear cut. And I think that's what makes it so fun and interesting to engage with, especially on a first listen. When you were doing your paper, that was only like, what, five years ago? Uh, I think five years ago is about right. That was my first semester in college wow. was when it was. And that's when you discovered Tori? The way I had been listening a little bit um, my last year of high school was when I had first been shown her. And I listened a little bit, but only as um, kind of passively as I like, listened to a lot of things in that period. So I was just trying to listen to a lot of music. But it was that fall break where I actually sat down and was mm. like, that was the only thing I listened to. So how has this song evolved for you over the last five years? from your first like access to it to now where it sits in your mind and your brain space it's only gotten like more important honestly at that point you know i only knew those two albums of hers and even though now i've expanded very much so into her canon and the everything that there is to offer through tori it just still stands out to me as having this power to it, I think. And I think it's just because of, you know, as we said earlier with the content of it, she's speaking about something very 
personal and impactful, but in a way that isn't overly mushy. It's also not hidden behind metaphors. It's just talking about so frankly that it's every time I've come back to it, I can more and more not maybe empathize directly, but sympathize with the feelings and experiences of the song. I think it's a very mature person song, so I guess I feel as I mature, I mature along with it. Something else that adds a deep appreciation for the song for me is that um, I feel like it has this interesting conversation with Mother from Little Earthquakes, mm. which Mother is probably my favorite song on Little Earthquakes. I think it's super emotional. And I just love to see the difference between, you know, those like feelings of sentimentality towards her mother that Tori clearly has and these understandings of the complexity of being a mother. And then to have the promise of that kind of in your arms and then just it slips out and that that kind of regret and not being able to become the mother because you know later on we do see songs that she writes about the experience of being an active mother mm-hmm. but there's something just so interesting i feel like play by mommy is almost kind of the dark after shadow of mother but you know very mature no longer feeling the kind of youthfulness that is seen in little earthquakes it's sort of grown reflection on herself. I love that connection. It never occurred to me. But yeah, of course, there is that darker, older element. Because in Mother, she is taking it from the perspective of the young girl. And here she's taking it from the perspective of like the older woman who is trying to protect her daughter. Yeah, there's absolutely a correlation there. Good eye or good ear, Colin. Good ear. Thank you. Yeah. I try. <laughs> does the song make you feel mature? It does. I listen to it and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm in the canteen thinking about <laughs> everything that's passed in these years. Smoke, big draw from the cigarette. <sighs> yes, precisely. I'm being filmed by people on Paramount Studio lot. On 60 millimeter film. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> So nice to hear your voice. I feel like you're much older and much more mature. I want to hear from you. I feel like uh, we raised you and now you don't ever write. I know. I'm sorry. That's just how life is. I guess I'm ashamed of my Playboy <laughs> podcasters. Oh, that's true. You don't know the things we've done. <laughs> Colin, where can people find you online if they wanted to? If they really want to and they're into watching video games be played online, completely uncorrelated to Tori Amos, um, <laughs> me and my friends stream on Twitch at Console Cafe. We stream a few times a week playing older games, so at least hopefully if you're into Tori, maybe you're into older games. Like what older games? Like Nintendo? Um, no, not quite that far back. I mean, right now we're playing like Final Fantasy X. Oh, so okay. Stuff <laughs> of a roughly same era, maybe for some people. No, no Duck Hunt? No Duck Hunt. No, oh. I do have a Super Famicom, which is the Japanese version of the Super Nintendo, so... Maybe we'll eventually get to those. We're sticking in the mid-2000s for now. All right. Well, that's fair. Well, everybody follow our Pele Baby Colin at Console Cafe on Twitch if you have it. Thank you so much for talking about your favorite song. And I can't wait to talk to you again and watch you grow. Thank you. I look forward to being back with you guys. And I can't wait to see you on the next tour, hopefully next year. Yes. Oh, God, please. All right. Bye. Bye. line we have one of our favorites we have alexander leger small he counts this song in his top five and i want to know why alexander tell me everything hi friend hi i I am going to tell you everything everything first of all it's a gorgeous song Mm -hmm. we can all agree on Mm -hmm. that um and it has a very different flavor 
from a lot of the album. I think the closest thing would be Liquid Diamonds, really, with that jazzy undertone. But it's still, it's very different from Liquid Diamonds in that it's a story song. And story songs, in general, are some of my favorite musical formats. And when Tori does them, they end up being some of my favorite songs by Mm. her. Like Cher's Halfbreed is the quintessential (laughs) story song. Like she takes you on a journey and Tori's really succeeding with that here, especially with the opening line in my platforms, I hit the floor. Like you have to know what happened. Why did she hit the floor? What happens next? Does she get up? Is she stuck there? Like it grabs you right from the beginning. I think it's very rare that she does like a story song, as you call them. Last album, Little Amsterdam, I kind of mentioned it a little earlier. That's also got that similar narrative structure where it's like, okay, instead of you're kind of stepping outside of Tori and following a character. Mm -hmm. And Little Amsterdam is another one of my favorite songs. And I think the third is Pass the Mission is another perfect story. (laughs) And it's another song that that's also in my top five. So she doesn't do it a lot, though. You're right. Why do you think that is? I think Tori's music so often comes to her to be interpreted through her like the muses are rarely telling her a story i feel like often they're giving her feelings or images Mm -hmm. i guess weatherman could kind of fall into this category too but i like that you first the first thing that you accessed was little amsterdam because i think there's a a real connection between these songs playboy mommy takes place in the south for me so there's this connection there And I think one of the things that makes Playboy Mommy so evocative of the South for me is the idea of like, do you know these New Orleans dirge bands? Yeah. There's something of that in this song. And actually, before we got on the phone, I was listening. I was watching some YouTubes to like see if I was just making that up or if the connection made sense. And I stick by it. I think mixed with the military drum as well. There's something very processional about it. That's very interesting, too, tying this back to those dirge bands. What do you think, as far as the story goes, what do you think is happening in the story? Because, I mean, obviously, we know the circumstances leading up to the album, and we know the grief and the loss that is sort of at the heart of the album. We know Tori had a miscarriage. But she also talks about, in the EPK, about playing the story out where she has a 13-year-old daughter and what would happen in that scenario. So I'd never really tied the two together. And earlier, David mentioned that you know, I had always taken the song as like a song about how she lost the baby and why this baby didn't want to come and her working through those feelings about that. But then she does mention like, this is the story of a woman who is dealing with her 13 year old daughter. And it kind of gives me a different, you know, it's kind of like these two different narratives sort of now in my mind. What are your thoughts? So I totally forgot about that from the EPK. So I'm having a bit of an epiphany moment right Mm. now. And I can absolutely see two different stories here, Mm. but I really like the idea of the 13 year old who's like, okay, you're becoming a woman. Now men are going to look at you. Mm. Men have looked at me and I've done things for those men Mm. and they're going to come for you the same way they came for me. And this is what you didn't like about me. So don't become me. Don't let those Mm. soldiers know your name. 
Oh, interesting. What's your favorite lyrical moment? Oh, I've got too many. Specifically, talking about Hosanna, like the talking about Uh (laughs) snippet is there's lots of like slanginess in the song Mm -hmm. a little bit. It's little girl. It's not little girl. And it's not mommy. It's mummy. Those kind of things make it feel really personal. But uh, lyrical moments continued. The last bit, take you in my arms and how she shushes at the end of the S of arms. It's like arms. I love when Tori is breathy and wet on a track and (laughs) she loves it too she doesn't (laughs) she cleaned it up too much for me um singing along to this song it's one of the things i notice is when i take the breaths along with her and how they propel the words a little bit you mentioned the song has a jazzy feel Mm -hmm. and i I would describe the song as kind of like big band a little bit as well Um, sure and this is kind of rare. She said that she found that sound on her Kurtzweil that they loaded her up at Kurtzweil. And she just like was playing around with the sounds and wrote this entire song on that sound. And it becomes this like spine of the song. Um, mm-hmm. There's a military feel too. You mentioned the drum. What do you think of that whole feel? Sure. I think it's one of the things that makes it stand apart on the album is it's a, it's a mood, as the children say. Um, <laughs> Legendary children say, too. Yes. It's a mood. Um, I was listening to live versions and any kind of different keyboard that she has on stage with her, she will play this song yeah. on. It's like not for the piano. Uh-huh. And I love that. I love that it needs a sort of honky, goosey... <laughs> pleading to the notes but there's also a churchiness to it for sure like imagining her playing the organ at church again that dirgy feel um it can't be crisp it has to be drawn somehow and and watery i guess which Mm. connects to the album the roads for example Mm-hmm. So the only time I've seen it was on the Beekeeper tour, and I saw it outside at the Bank of America Pavilion in Boston, and it was a hot night. It was a long set list. So yeah, recently, it might have been in the Little Earthquakes redo. You read a quote where she talks about changing the way the third chorus sounds, mm-hmm. so it's surprising, mm-hmm. and I feel like she does that in every chorus of this song. There's a different emphasis. There's a different vocal riff each time. And it continually keeps you engaged. Like they don't feel necessarily like choruses to me. It doesn't feel the same. Yeah. When I said earlier, like, and now we're back to the chorus, it didn't feel right. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. it it didn't occur to me that this is a chorus because it is very different from the first time she goes through it. So it's (laughs) not like a chorus in the traditional sense. I agree. And then when she gets to the come home, just that kind of calling out Mm -hmm. uh, just felt very in the moment. It didn't feel like it was written previous. I have that note here yeah there's a lot of little intersections that feel improvised yeah but you get that in the demo and some of that 
slips into the album version as well. I really love that we have this demo. And I, one of the things that I love the most about the demo is that it just pops in. You know, obviously she fades up because with demos and stuff, I think that she's playing for a while before she like kind of gets into that particular song. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's why uh, most of the demos that we have have leaked kind of fade in. But with this in particular, her vocals just kind of fade in or like they just pop out of nowhere. And I yeah. really like that it's just like bursted out of her in this moment. And they're very close to the moment. Like, mm -hmm. she's got nothing. She's got four or five words yeah. that she'll keep trying to plug in, and the rest is, like, mumbles. Totally love that. I love... It's, like, such a window into her process. Yes, I want to be sitting on the stool next to her. Like, <laughs> I feel like she has her eyes closed, and it's just... It's tumbling out of her beautiful little mouth. I didn't want to say this in the last episode, because I didn't want it preserved for all time in the hotel episode. <laughs> but there is a hotel demo. Do you know that? What? I know. And I know that it exists. And I know who has it. And they won't give it to me. So why? that was another reason why it took so long for that episode to come out. Because I was working that person. I was like, I need that fucking demo. Give it to me now. <laughs> but they're like, no, we made a promise. So we oh can't Oh my god. I know. Can they just play a piece of it I was like, you? please like... just get me on the phone. I swear I won't be recording it. I just want to hear it. But no. No, nothing like worked. That's, that's the best gift that anyone could ever give you. I know. It's like, how could you withhold from me? <laughs> you don't even care that you have it anymore. If... I know. Yeah, like, let me hear it. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's the tea that I wouldn't put in the hotel episode. But I put it in the Playboy Mommy episode. Who cares? Good, good. <laughs> it's past us now. Yeah. So, Alexander, you know about the story about her, like, tripping to get that first line, right? Yes, yes, and I love it. So, when I was a, a little kiddo, I'm in, like, the Tory web. I think the website was called Gone Andromeda. Oh, yeah, I remember um, Gone Andromeda. It was wonderful. It was, like, encyclopedic, so mm -hmm. you could, like, look up who Sister Janet was, and it would have every quote <laughs> ever about her in the lyrics. And somehow I found this story on that website. And, again, with the story song connection, knowing that it happened to her, and she so rarely tells us the truth about what happened to her, mm -hmm. like, it's always very veiled to have that connection just brings a closer feeling to the song for me and i love it you know like i said earlier the window into her process like oh mm -hmm. she may, you know she's milling about with whatever song she's writing in the moment and this thing that happens to her in her real life can absolutely affect you know oh like wow i just have the first line and there it is mm -hmm. yeah i love that do you remember the Tory ring? The fairy ring? <laughs> just you'd go I, to another I, website. I would just click that shit for hours. Yeah. It was great how we used to like boost each other up, huh? Now we won't yeah. give each other the demos of hotel. God. <laughs> well, Alexander, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at Alexander Leger Small. And I think I do a pretty good job with my stories. So mm, I think you do too. Along. And Bartlett. Thanks. Come on. Yeah. I mean my dog. And your dog. All right, Alexander, we'll talk again. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. This is a cover of Playboy Mommy by Roses in My Lungs. We found it on SoundCloud, and we'll link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamis.com. In my platforms, I hear the flow. I fell face down. You didn't help my brain out. Then the baby came before I found the magic hell to keep her. See what you want.
Made it to the live section, David. All right. Did you know it was coming? I had a hunch. We follow a format. Mm-hmm. That's okay, because we developed that format. We're stealing from ourselves. Yeah, we are basically a leader and a follower of ourselves. Lover, fighter, leader, follower. Mother, bitch, lover, daughter. What it's is it? It's been <laughs> way too long since we referenced Meredith Brooks. Why did I just say it like that? It's been way too long since we referenced Meredith Brooks. <laughs> way too long. Come up and see me sometime. Come up and see me sometime, Meredith. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a bitch. Yeah, we're all of those things, but unto ourselves. So on the 1998 Plugged Tour and Sneak Preview Club Tour, total combined, Tori performed this song 26 times. That is a scandal. That it wasn't more often? That is hardly any. The first time she ever performed it was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the Chili Pepper on April 18th, 1998, the very first show of the tour. And here it is. It was closed out the first half of the set before Secret Time. Much fully formed live. It hasn't changed hardly at all. No. Nope. And I listen to them all, David. All 100 plus. Not all of the performances survive. There's about 90. And you judged each one harshly. Don't judge them so harsh, little leaf. Come home, mommy. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about that performance? I think there was a lot of chatter happening <laughs> under it. But so many of these band songs, I'm surprised to hear how fully formed and fleshed out they were on the first date of this tour. It's crazy. Yeah. She did a really good job in rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is actually true about the Choir Girl songs in particular. Mm -hmm. And maybe because they had just recorded them and they were so fresh. Um, they were itching to play them. They were. Whereas something like A Precious Things evolved a little bit. Took a minute. You're right. Here's a performance from May 28th, 1998 in Portsmouth. And I just think it is so soulful. So here we go. Don't you do, cause the, you'll be born for me. 
This is June 13th, 1998 in Bonn, Germany. My Play by Mommy's birthday. Happy birthday, Gaylene. Happy B-Day. It's not too often that Playboy Mommy comes out for a promo appearance, but it sure did on September 11th, 1998 at Seattle End Sessions. That little bit that we played earlier where she talks about falling down the stairs, that's from Seattle End Sessions, and this is the performance of the song. In my platforms, I hit the floor, fell face down, didn't help my brain out. Then the baby came before I found the magic kill to keep her happy. I never was the fantasy or what you all wanted me to be. Don't judge me so harsh, little girl. So you gotta play ball. Wanna cross the bridge all on your own? A little girl, they'll do you no harm, cause I know you'll be by mommy. But you just tell my name from here to Birmingham. I got a few friends. This is the final time she played it on the tour and it opened the second half of the set this is playboy mommy from east lansing michigan december 3rd 1998 and you know what's interesting to me david that i was there well that's interesting to me and it's my parents wedding anniversary my playboy mommy's wedding anniversary oh happy anniversary gaylene and Dwayne. <laughs> interesting thing to me is that she seems from surviving photographs appears to be wearing a half apron what color blue mm, yes that does sound right it's more of a schmuck 
than an apron. I would say. It's more of an art smock. Mm-hmm. She's done cooking. Now she wants to do crafts. Yeah, she's going to fire something in her kiln. All said, Tori has performed Playboy Mommy a total of 103 times, like we said. She performs it one time in 1999, and this is the solo show at the end of the year. After the five and a half weeks tour, after to Dallas and back, she's that one solo show, and here's that solo performance. It drives me bonkers that we fold this solo show into five and a half weeks, but consider a lot of pianos a separate tour. Come on. I said after five and a half weeks and after to Dallas and back, I signified... You said it, but I want you to sing it. So, um, it wasn't a very good time for me when I went over to Champagne. Um, I'd just been to uh, the tropics and I lost a little kicha. And so, um, you know, the best thing to do after that is go with your girlfriends and get blasted for weeks. So um, I went with my girlfriends and um, they had a falling out with each other. Just weird, especially when you're in the middle of it. If you know what I mean, guys have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, that's how you don't get hemorrhoids either. So, um, then um, I was up in this room and I was uh, trying to make my way down. And you know the stairs that go like this, this Fruit Loop thing. <laughs> And the tricky bit was, I had these um, shoes on. And you were blocked? And I was what? Pants? Wow. No, it was the shoes. <laughs> you have to know, they were very, very high. And it went like that. Don't assume, just because I was in champagne. <laughs> so anyway, tumble, 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 tumble. And I laid at the bottom of the floor, like this. And I said, baby, I need more champagne. <laughs> and then I had to go back and I found my mother and my tooth was bad. And I just have to say, England is very good for some things, but not for teeth, right? <laughs> so, I'm walking around out of my mind, singing to my mother this song, because it was terrorizing me, this tune. And um, I came up with this verse, which I will never sing to another soul because she's my mother. She wouldn't bludgeon me. But she did say to me, you need more medication. And changed those words. <laughs> so. In 2001, Tori performs this song, Playboy Mommy, a total of 15 times. Happy quinceanera, Playboy Mommy. The first time she performs a song on the tour is in West Palm Beach, Florida, on the very first night of the tour, and it's part of the first encore. And she plays it on the whirly. Here it is. Roll it, Oliver.
What's interesting to me about Playboy Mommy in this tour is that most of the times that she performs on this tour, she performs it as part of the encore. And the times that aren't a part of the encore, she performs it in like the last three songs-ish mm-hmm. of the set, of the main set. Why do you suppose that is? I think just in terms of show flow mm-hmm. and the tone of the song, it has kind of, you know, a melancholy, I'm going to take it down a notch vibe to it. Good call. Here's a little snafu in Grand Rapids on October 17th, 2001. This is my first time ever hearing Playboy Mommy. Can you believe it? This is November 2nd, 2001 in Austin, Texas. This is Saturday, November 17th, 2001 in L.A. at the Wiltern. Oh. Don't judge me so harsh, Ready for Scarlet's walk? I'm all warmed up and stretched. Where are you going to so fast, Scarlet? I'm speed walking. In 2002-2003, Tori performed this song a total of 23 times across only the one tour. She didn't perform it at all on Lotta Pianos, the second tour, the separate tour. Right, right. She performed it for the first time with the band on this tour on November 22nd, 2002 in Toronto, and it was the very last song of the set. Roll it, Ollie. Three times is quite an uptick. What do you think about that? It's really interesting, again, this tour, that she performs it not only in the encore more often than not. When it does appear in the encore, it's usually the very last song of the night. What do you think? It's certainly a solemn note to end on. More so than even a traditional ballad. I challenge you on that because I think probably by this time she's had a daughter. She's maybe honoring the mother spirit from before, but it's maybe already shifted 
in her mind. And so it is less about the grief now, more about that feeling at the end. The resolution that we decided happens in the song. That's why it's the second to last song on the album. I get that. But from an audience perspective, it's a little bit of an odd note to shuffle out of the auditorium on. Yeah, I'll be home. I'm coming home. Maybe she's like, go home. Go home. (laughs) Are you too good for your home? Lights on. Encore's over. (laughs) It's a curfew. I'm not paying. Over time. (laughs) In 2005, Troy performs the song 15 times. And again, here it is at the opening night of the tour. So it's like a staple kind of in the opening show. It's really interesting. Not in 2002, 2003, but definitely in 1998. Definitely in 2001, and definitely here again in 2005. And this is Clearwater, Florida, April 1st, 2005. And maybe it has something to do with Florida. Maybe it has something to do with, like, you know, she found the demos in Florida. It's, like, very tied to Florida. And I think at that point she probably associates her own mom with Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's playing it on the roads, David. The roads. Gotta hit the roads. We're on a road to mommy. <laughs> this is June 12, 2005 in Brussels. You tell my name. I got a few Here's a nice little intro from Rome on July 7th, 2005. Since we played the first performance from the tour, let's play the last performance from this tour. This is September 17th, 2005 in Los Angeles. My very first Los Angeles show as a Los Angeles resident. Mm, You're a California girl now.
In 2007, Tori performed this song a total of four times. What do you think about that, David? Not a lot. She dialed it back. This tour, it never once appeared in the encore. Not one time? Not a one time. She performed it as Tori every time, but what doll would take this song? What doll, damn it? I want to say Santa. Really? Yeah. Oh. I know you'd think Clyde, but I don't think so. You're so right. I'm such a fool. <laughs> How embarrassing. Of course it would be Santa. Yeah. It would be like Santa's one soulful moment in the whole show. The rest, she's like bouncing. Yes. And she would speak into the microphone. Okay, everybody, we're going to take it down here. Yeah. We're going to take it down. Yeah. Drop your mask a little bit, Santa. Lower your angel wings. Mm. This is the first time she did it on this tour. This is Hamburg, Germany at Musikhalle on June 4th, 2007. Joy wasn't performed that often on this tour, but twice she paired it up with General Joy. And I wonder if General Joy, soldiers, that sort of idea of soldiers, what do you think? Oh, you got it, of course. Nailed it. Nailed it. But there's also, she talks about it a lot, but I think General Joy is the only song where she actually personifies an emotion. And there's a line about giving your dress to happiness or something, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is, but that's not the only song. Give me another one. Crazy. That's not the same. I feel like crazy is a character and not an emotion. Yeah. General Joy is a character. But I feel like crazy is like a dude. And in General, yeah. jo- and in General Joy, happiness, she's like... There's a girl and she's giving her a dress. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get to 2005. I uh, can't wait. On the Sinful Attraction Tour, which was both sinful and attractive, David, she performed this song six times. It seems like not enough times, especially if this woman is sinful and attractive. That is all of the things that Playboy Mommy is. It sure is. And she had a jazz trio with a BS. Mm-hmm. This is one I saw with my own two eyes. This is Phoenix, Arizona, July 18th, 2009 at the Dodge Theater. doesn't perform it at all in 2010 but comes back in 2011 to perform it twice without the quartet just solo Hmm. which would you like to hear would you like to hear toronto or would you like to hear rome roma october 8th 2011 ah you're going a little dracula blah 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 (laughs) don't judge me so harsh little girl 
2014 and 2015, the Unrepentant Geraldine's double tour <laughs> that took over a year. What happened to Gold not. Dust? Well, she didn't perform it at all on Gold Dust. That's not my fault. Is Playboy Mommy here? No, sorry. She's on her break. Sorry. But on the Unrepentant Geraldine's two-year tour, she performed <laughs> it a total of seven times. A fair few. Here she is performing it on May 12th, 2014 in Birmingham, UK. She's wild. Where is she now? Here she is performing it in Johannesburg, South Africa, June 27th, to the Native Invader tour where Tori performed this song a total of four, count them, four times, and all of which I saw with my own four eyes. <laughs> this is the last time she performed this song, December 1st, 2017, at the Theater at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles, California. Roll it, Oliver. I got a Don't 
last time we've heard Playboy Mommy. Mm. You think we'll hear it again? I absolutely do. And as I sort of posited early in the show, perhaps we'll hear it quite a bit. Well, we're done. <laughs> I feel pretty done. We only have one more episode left in this album. I Can you know. believe we've done this? Look what we've done. We're coming home. We're coming home to take Choir Girl in our ears. We're coming home to take Pandora in our arms. Mm. Well, I'm spent. How do you feel about Playboy Mommy now that we've made it to the end? I like it. Okay. <laughs> any more, any less? About the same medium. I actually probably like it a little bit more. Even though I really liked it before, I really, really like it now. Tell me why. There's something about her saying that this was one of the truest like expressions of that moment that makes me feel that it's a window into Tori herself. Uh-huh. That makes me feel like it's something very special. Yes. So I think reading that quote made me like the song a little bit more. Great. Just a little bit more, but I really love it. What's your favorite musical moment? We never discussed it. No, we didn't. My favorite, while you're thinking about it, is the very beginning. I really just like the little intro. I really like that little Kurtzweil intro. I think mine is kind of after the musical bridge where most of the instrumentation drops out and it is just that steady drum beat again into somewhere where the orchids grow. I think that's really Mm -hmm. kind of a nice moment. Good choice. If you like what we do, you can find us online on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Songs of Toriamus. You can follow us on all of those platforms. If you really like what we do, however, find us at patreon.com slash Songs of Toriamus, where you can become a patron supporter today with many different perks at many different levels, but primarily including exclusive Patreon-only audio content. And if you were already a Patreon supporter this year, you received our annual Toremus-inspired original holiday card designed by our intimate friend Jack Foster, our graphic artist. That's him, all right. Yeah, that's him. He did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you're still listening, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? We don't ask very often, but it really helps us in the algorithm. We need our comeuppance. Yeah, we need some fresh reviews now that we're getting near the end of the Choir Girl season. Hot, fresh reviews. Look at hot. Those hot tracks. Anything else, David, before we move on with our lives? Nope, I'm ready to move on. How about you? I feel good. I can't wait to talk about Pandora because that song to me is elusive. That's is an it? elusive track. Yeah, I can't wait to really dive into that. It just slips through your fingers. She's ethereal. Every day. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Pandoraline. Maybe she's Pandoraline. Well, thank you for spending this time with me, David. I so enjoy our Tori Amos conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me over to your phone. You're, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. I'll take you up on that. Text you later. Text you later. Bye. Bye.
You seem to shame. Ashamed. If I could turn back, play with mommy. If I could find a shame. A shame. Yeah. <laughs> I think Cher needs to do an album of Tory covers. I think the video for If I Could Turn Back Time would actually work for Playboy Mommy, though. <laughs> Can we sailor? just yeah, yeah, you're right. Can we just swap out the audio and see how it looks? We can do that. And in fact, we did do that. You can go right now to our YouTube at the Sideways Society and find it. <laughs> but I'll be home. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamus.com.